As you are seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. We read this morning from Acts chapter 17. The Acts of the Apostles are the story of the early church, the accounting of how this church bore witness to this new truth, this revolutionary message of liberation and love. Paul finds himself in Greece, in Athens, and there he finds himself invited to speak at a place called the Areopagus, beginning with verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown? This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, God who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though God needed anything. Since God's own self gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from each one of us. And he quotes from a Greek poet, prophet. For in God we live and move And have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are too God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because God has fixed a day on which God will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom God has appointed. And of this God has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. May we hear in this story the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. We would ask to hear a word from you that moves us beyond information and into transformation. Week by week we gather in this place not to simply do the same things over and over again, but rather to be formed and transformed, to be equipped and healed and blessed and sent as your beloved children. May we see what is ours to see. May we do what is ours to do. In the holy name of word made flesh, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.
does not require a degree from seminary or a political science degree or a psychology degree or any of the many degrees that people have obtained during this graduation season to recognize the reality that the world is not as it should be. The world's not as it should be. Fear, greed, violence, turn to shame, create poverty, create racism and sexism and a disrespect for for elders, a disregard for creation, and on and on we could go. The world is not as it should be. So the question is, how can we move to that sacred space that is more sustaining and more secure? How can, how can we lean into that, that broad place that the psalmist talks about where we can find footing that will allow us to be what God wants the world to be, where justice and love are abundant? This is a question that everyone should ask. So where's the common ground? Where do we find common ground to build together a world that God dreams? Acts 17 shows Paul in Athens, Greece. It's a rare occasion in the New Testament for us to hear the gospel story outside of the hometown, outside of the temple, outside of the Jewish faith. Paul has been out sightseeing. Paul is like me. He's never met a stranger. He talks to whoever is nearby. You could talk to my poor family about me talking to everyone I encounter while we're trying to travel somewhere. Paul's the same way, and so he strikes up a conversation with people, and one thing leads to another. And Paul is invited to Mars Hill, to the Areopagus, where he can talk with the bigwigs about why the world isn't as it should be and to bring his own unique perspective to the conversation. So Paul looks for common ground. Where are some places on which we can stand together? He begins by really changing his tactic, his sermon, pretty radically. Instead of employing the Old Testament prophets from which he's known to quote, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Paul quotes from Greek philosophers, Greek thinkers. He employs their way of logic. He, in other words, is empathetic to who they are and what they need. And he starts out by finding we're, we're really in this together. He says to them, I see by everything that I've witnessed in your town how very religious you are. Well, I am too, he said. We have that in common. And I noticed this altar that is inscribed to an unknown God. That's an interesting place to find some common ground. That space of unknowing. That reality that God is always beyond even our loftiest and most eloquent words. Paul enters this space not as one who claims to know it all. Paul sometimes sounds to us like a braggadocious person, but I remind us that in 1 Corinthians, he admits, we see through the glass darkly. 
we now only know a part. We don't have the full picture. Someday we'll be fully known, as we will fully known, but not yet. This is an important way to make the defense for the hope that is within us, as the writer of 1 Peter said, to bring to our witness a modicum of humility. To start with that space of the unknown God, the common ground, where we all stand in our mortality, in our humanity. Because in this space, we can talk honestly. We can talk in an unvarnished way. Because there aren't any hidden truths. It's all right here for us to see. Paul says, God's not hiding God's there for people to seek and find because God is not far away. And so he's going to employ some common ground, some universal truths, if you will, that can be used to help us in this work of answering the question, why isn't the world the way it should be? What can we do? How can we think? Who can we be in order to be part of the healing work of love? And so common ground. But the common ground too often becomes disorienting ground. Ground that seems to disturb us and make us defensive. And so sadly, often common ground becomes uncommon ground. Paul begins by stating the obvious, that the sacred one doesn't live in shrines and rituals and language, that the most that we do is point to the holy. We approximate the holy. That's, that's what this is. This is our best effort. The lighting, the, the, the vestments, all of this is our best effort to try to frame a way to speak to mystery that is bigger than we realize. The sacred doesn't live in shrines and rituals and language, says Paul. No group, no group, not even our group, has a lock on God. We don't copyright God. We don't claim God in such a way that says we're good and you're bad, we're right and you're wrong. Sadly, this common ground quickly becomes uncommon ground because human pride and our sense of rightness so often makes us feel like we have to be the ones who are right. We have to be the ones who are stating it clearly and truly when in fact the most we do as one writer put it is serve as fingers pointing to the moon. Fingers pointing to the moon. We're not the moon. God is the moon. God is the sacred energy, the source of all the life that is all around us. We're the fingers pointing to the moon. He continues, from this one, we all came. There's not a Jewish God and a Greek God and a Roman God. There's one source for all the people of the world. Thus, we are equal, says Paul, quoting from one of their philosophers. We're all God's offspring. 
This is language familiar to you and me. We were raised in this, most of us, those of us who grew up in this country. This is in our founding documents. We find we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal, that we're endowed by our creator with these certain rights. So equality was baked into the narrative of our country. But I don't have to tell you that this common ground too often shifts to uncommon ground. People are told with words, but more importantly with actions, that they're not equal, that they're not people of worth and dignity and respect. Richard Rohr says this is why Paul was so incredibly popular. Paul was preaching in a day when four out of five people were slaves. How would it feel to them to hear, you're equal before God? Women were considered second-class citizens, uh, basically owned by their husbands. How would it feel to hear, God is no respecter of male, female. We're all equal before God. What would it say to, to people who have been raised to participate in rituals and temples that are degrading and demeaning to hear that you're equal with everyone else? This was incredibly good news, which is why the Acts of the Apostle report that thousands of people came and said yes to this message because it's uncommon. It should be common, but in fact, it's, it's uncommon. And it makes for a sad world. Friday, I came to Friday church, as I often do, speak to people before the service begins. One woman I didn't quite recognize, I spoke to her, and she said, I haven't been here for several years. And by some miracle, really, I remembered her name. I called her name out. I mean, this is really unbelievable. I mean, you can ask my colleagues, ask my colleague Nancy Maples. Uh, I don't remember names. <laughs> I called her name. I moved on. The service, we had the service. But after the service, the woman who was sitting next to me came up and said, I need to tell you what happened after you left. I looked over at the woman and She had tears streaming down her face. She said, I'm sorry to be crying. She was sitting next to Debbie, who cries all the time. She said, I I cry all the time. I cried for months. She said, I can't believe he knew my name. He remembered my name. And that's all it took for someone in this kind of context to feel equal. Because it's now, sadly, uncommon ground for people to feel equal. Paul quotes from one of the Greek philosophers. Maybe Steve or Tyler or some smart person knows who this person is. I don't. But it's a very familiar phrase. It's one that's become part of our our vernacular. The God in whom we live and move and have our being. You've heard it, right? We've all heard this. It's now in our Bible because Paul read it into the record. It's part of our story. The God in whom we live and move 
and have our being. I knew a pastor in Lubbock who always used this in a prayer, but the, the prayer voice was so whiny that I didn't like this phrase. Dear God in whom we live and move and have our being. I thought, oh man, I hate that. But when you step back and unpack it, a God in whom we live. This isn't a God out there. This is a God that we are in, just like you're in this sanctuary now. We are in God. Our movements take place inside God, good ones and bad ones, and our being, the fact that we are, the fact that there is life, that is God. So when people say they don't believe in God, I'm not sure even what that could mean, except that they don't believe in someone who's out there. And I don't either. God is either here and everywhere, or God is nowhere. For God is a God in whom we live and move and have our being. And if that's true, then doesn't that mean that right now we're in God? And that yesterday is still in God. Everything that's happened is in God. And everything that will happen is in God. So that nothing is wasted. God is the great ecologist. Nothing is wasted. There can be harmony and abundance. And all can be included. If what is today uncommon ground could become again through the people of God common ground. But when we live and move and have our being outside of God, when through fear or violence or greed we distort the harmony of God, when we rush the rhythm of God, when we distrust the abundance of God, we get out of sync with the sacred way and we find ourselves trying to live outside of God. Long ago, H.H. Farmer, surely a person who worked with wood, made this observation. When you go against the grain of the universe, against the grain, you get splinters. When you go with the grain of God, you move with God. To go against the grain brings splinters. And so Jesus comes, Paul said. God sent Jesus into the world with this distinct and transforming invitation to all people. Not as judgment, but as wisdom. It's one word, repent which simply means to turn back toward God. To find the common ground that God has given to every person. To trust that sacred flow and to join the work of love, which is why we've been placed on this earth. We've been put on this earth a little space, said the poet, that we might bear the beams of love. This love creates peace in our hearts. It allows things to start turning and working better. Not magic, 
but working in cadence and in coordination and into the flow that is God. This is what religion is about. This is what faith is about. It's not about my story being better than your story. It's about bringing who we are and what we have and joining the sacred work and making the uncommon common again for all. I love that Paul had this voyage into the world of the Greek people. I love that he quoted the philosophers. I love that he used their arguments. I mean, the Greek people, the Athenians, they're erudite, they're educated. I mean, my goodness, they spoke Greek, okay? I mean, isn't that sort of like people with a British accent? I mean, even if they're saying something dumb, it just sounds smart. They spoke Greek. He speaks to them in their way. He finds common ground with them. But you don't have to do it his way. What you and I have to do is take our truth that God is a God who created all and invites all and includes all and live it out with our lives in our flesh and blood way. That's what my great nephew Dylan did recently. Dylan's 16 years old. He lives in Paintlick, Kentucky, which is outside of Berea. Dylan recently has discovered his connection to God. God has come alive for him. So the other day when he and his mother were driving down the road and they came upon a man with one of those signs that says, hungry will work for food, Dylan said, Mom, Mom, stop the car. Let me, let me give him some money. His mother said, Honey, it, you know it's not that simple. You know in this part of the country, people take money and do things that they shouldn't, your uncle, your aunt. We just can't give him money. We can't do that. He said, oh, my gosh. Well, can we at least stop and get him some food? Yeah, we can get him some food, she said. Good, he said. I'll be able to sleep tonight. They went to get the food, returned to the, to the side of the road where the people were. Young Dylan got out of the car and handed the food to them, introduced himself to them, began to talk to them. He asked them, do you know God? Now it seems like a little, a little uh, offensive, a little, a little bit out there, a little... Uh, jumping right into it, but he's a kid. He's a kid. And he's filled with God. He said, do you know God? They said, oh, our life has just been a wreck. We've had such bad luck. We both lost our jobs, and now we've lost our homes, so our kids are in foster homes. And Dylan said, I can't tell you how all your problems will be resolved, but I believe that if you'll know God, and do right by God's teachings, your life will change somehow. Now, there's part of me that thinks that is way too simplistic. But if you knew Dylan, you'd realize he's an old soul who has gotten down to that common ground that when we walk in the sacred flow, when we trust in this way, when we find ourselves in God, There is a healing that happens that cannot be fully explained or charted or articulated, but it is real. 
There are people all through this room who can bear witness to this truth. And if you've not experienced it today, I invite you to know God, to understand as much as you can understand about God, and to give as much as you understand about yourself to this God. To this God be glory now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God revealed in the face of Jesus. May we get a glimpse today of the depth and breadth and height of your love that changes, reorients all in ourselves, in our relationships, in how we live as a human family together. We cannot change all the politics of the world but we can change by turning to you and living fully into your love. Let it be so this day, not only here, but in places of faith all around your world. To your glory. Amen.